since Jesus is God and God is all knowing, then is Jesus all knowing? And if Jesus is all knowing, then how do you explain Matthew 24, 36? In that verse, Jesus is answering his disciples' question about the end of the age. And Jesus says, quote, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. At this point, if you're like me, you're asking yourself, what is going on here? How can Jesus say he doesn't know the answer? He's God in the flesh. He knows everything, doesn't he? So why did Jesus say he did not know the day or the hour of the end of the age? That is what we're talking about today. This is Worldview Legacy, the podcast from the Think Institute that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedekase. I'm the president of the Think Institute. We are a Christian, evangelistic, and educational institution, nonprofit, and I'm a former pastor. I used to defend my faith the completely wrong way until God changed my attitude and my approach. And today, I help Christian men like you to become the worldview leaders that your families and churches need so that you can lead your family in the biblical worldview so that you and your wife and your kids will be able to answer the world's questions with confidence and to see Jesus change lives as you share your faith. So why did Jesus say that he didn't know the day or the hour of the end of the age? This is something that you need to know for at least three reasons. One, it's important for Christian discipleship. On your own spiritual journey, you're going to need to be able to answer this question. It's right there in the text of God's written word. And you, the disciple, the follower of Jesus, you don't just want to gloss over tough passages when you come across them. You want to be able to better understand it all even the hard passages, so that you can follow Jesus more closely. Secondly, this is going to help you become your family's Bible answer man. Sometimes your kids or your wife, they're going to ask you about this question or another question like it. And you can say, I don't know, I'll go find out. But having an answer on hand is going to be better. It's going to be better for you to be able to give an honest, clear, accurate explanation. And third, this is going to level up your apologetic, your defense of the faith. It's going to help you defend the truth of the Christian worldview against atheistic objections and challenges from followers of other religions, like the question that we're talking about today is big among atheist apologists online right now. They're going to point to this passage, and there's going, they're going to tell you that there's a contradiction in the Bible, or that Jesus really isn't God. And you are going to want to know how to answer that question with confidence. Ellipsis, from the politics server where I do my apologetics theology AMAs, told me that Muslim apologists are using this passage quite frequently nowadays. So we have to be ready to, to extend a hand and to answer this question. So today you're going to get to listen in on a conversation that I had recently with a Christian woman on that politics server on Discord. Discord is a chat app. Now, this woman goes by the name of Cakes on Discord, and this is during an AMA, so any question was 
fair game. And she asked the question you're about to hear. And you know what, whether you're seeking to better defend your faith or to get better at explaining your faith or just better understanding your faith, this episode is for you. You're going to find today's conversation very helpful. And specifically, we're going to talk about why this can be a tough challenge to answer. We're going to talk about what the hypostatic union is and how it's relevant to this question. And I'll explain what that is. And we're going to talk about why it's actually absurd for a skeptic or an atheist to accuse scripture of having a contradiction and how the skeptic is being arbitrary in defining God and omniscience and Jesus and how to expose that. We're going to talk about why the possibility of contradictions in our doctrine should matter to Christians, and it does matter to Christians. And we'll talk about why it's important to use the Bible's own definitions for omniscience, all-knowing, and God and Jesus, and how to explain all this. And then we'll talk about why Jesus not knowing the answer is actually a good thing. Yes, a good thing. And we'll talk about why Jesus or what Jesus could have said instead that would have been actually problematic. And why the complaint about Jesus not knowing tells us more about the person making the objection than about any problem with actual Christian theology. So, if you find this entertaining and inspiring and you want more resources like this, you have to know about our free community. This is the fellowship where you can get access to tons of resources and conversations and all kinds of stuff to help you grasp the tools of knowledge, logic, apologetics, evangelism, advice to help you on your spiritual journey and your theological journey. It's called the Think Squad, and I will tell you all about it at the end of the show. Now, what you're about to hear is my conversation with Cakes, and Cakes is going to start out by asking this question. Lately, the last couple of days, um, individuals have said that God or Jesus is contradictory because Jesus said that he didn't know the day or the hour, and that he is, you know, how can you say he's God and all-knowing if he doesn't? And so obviously a lot of us have said like he had a human nature and that he humbled himself when he walked as a man, that he did know the hour when he was in his human form or in his human nature rather right. than his divine nature. Now, this can be a very challenging topic because it hits on a theological issue called the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union deals with the two natures of Christ united into one uh, hypostasis or hypostasis. Let's see, how do I pronounce that? It looks like hypostasis. It means person. And here's how Theopedia, the website Theopedia, which is very helpful. Here's how they address the idea of the uh, hypostasis or the hypostatic union. Quote, the two natures of Jesus refers to the doctrine that one, the one person, Jesus Christ, had slash has two natures, divine and human. In theology, this is called the doctrine of the hypostatic union. From the Greek word hypostasis, which came to mean substantive reality, and early church figures such as Athanasius used the term, quote, hypostatic union, end quote, to describe the teaching that these two distinct natures, divine and human, coexisted substantively, and in reality, in the single person of Jesus Christ. 
The aim was to defend the doctrine that Jesus was simultaneously truly God and truly man. One of the clearest passages in Scripture concerning the two natures of Jesus comes from John 1. The Word, i.e. Jesus, was with God and the Word was God. Moreover, the Word took on human flesh, John 1.14. Luke's Gospel also says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, Luke 2.52, end quote. We're talking about the hypostatic union. This is a very complex and possibly potentially difficult doctrine to understand, but it's not impossible to understand. We're going to break it down, and you're going to see why the hypostatic union is so important and vital to answering this question that is to us. But it's even then, it's still like hard to make I want I don't want to say make them understand but it's hard to explain it in a way that is just so crystal clear that mm. they don't really have an argument to stand on in saying that Jesus or God is contradictory that's so I, I think that's great so this is a good point the person who's making the objection really has no leg to stand on right, let's talk about why that is contradictions are a problem for atheists now, I'm not going to get into a full treatment on logic and the law of non-contradiction and things like that, but suffice it to say, for there to be a contradiction, the contradiction, a contradiction is a violation of the laws of logic. A logic are immaterial, universal, objectively true, knowable laws that exist in a mind because they are propositions, they're rules. And that mind must have those attributes in order to ground those laws of logic. So, in short, the laws of logic presuppose something that the atheist cannot account for, and even the Muslim cannot account for, which is a mind that exists objectively, omnipresently, or, or universally, is knowable to us, is immaterial, that's what a mind is, and also has to have unity in diversity because there are three laws of logic. Each one is just as, as equally fundamental and ultimate as the next. And so again, without getting into the full treatment, atheism and even Islam does not have a leg to stand on when they accuse Christianity of having a contradiction because a contradiction is a violation of the laws of logic and there is nothing in their worldview that can support the idea of the laws of logic. So this is a really good point. It's very important to stress this. And in our three-step apologetic method that I talk about a lot on this show, step one is reducing the unbelieving position to absurdity, or the Latin phrase for what I just described is reductio ad absurdum. So contradictions are not a thing for atheists. And so their objection is actually absurd. It's actually self-contradictory because logic cannot be a thing in their worldview. So that's step one. Step two then is we're going to expose the arbitrary nature of the skeptic's position. And really, this is still part of the reductio ad absurdum. We're going to start with questions. Why does this bother you? Why is this, why is this a problem for you? Why do you perceive it as being a problem? What we're going to see is that they're actually defining God and Jesus and omniscience 
arbitrarily. Then they're using those arbitrary definitions to which are not biblical to try and condemn the biblical definition of God. They're doing a little switcheroo. So let's keep listening. One thing that I would ask when someone were to say that is why is it a problem that Jesus said he didn't know? Because there's some assumption there that the skeptic is making that I'm not making. It doesn't bother me that Jesus said that. Why does it bother that person? And I would assume that the answer that would come back would be something along the lines of God is supposed to be all-knowing. Jesus didn't say it, or Jesus said he didn't know. Therefore, Jesus is not all-knowing, and yet Jesus is supposed to be God. There seems like there's a contradiction there. Well, right. Right. So, so this is another way of saying my conception of what God would be like if he became a man is different than what I see Jesus doing. Therefore, since my understanding or my preconceived notion, really my prejudice, contradicts what I see in the Bible, therefore the Bible must be wrong. But think about how logical that is or really how illogical that is. Okay, I have a preconceived notion of what God would do. The Bible says God did something different. Surely the Bible must be wrong. Imagine the arrogance that it takes to say that. And I'm not trying to be rude here, but imagine the arrogance to say God didn't do things or behave the way that I think that he should have. So God must be wrong or Jesus must not really be God. We have to really hold the skeptic's feet to the fire here. He is, he has a problem. He's defining God and Jesus and omniscience, etc. He's defining all these terms by his own definition. That definition is not based in scripture. It's arbitrary. And then he's taking that definition of Jesus, God, omniscience, etc. And he's saying there's a contradiction, so it's false. But then he's pulling his switcheroo and he's saying, therefore, the God that you believe in, that is based off the, uh, the knowledge that you get from the Bible, that is contradictory and that God doesn't exist. But that's not a legitimate move. And you have to show him that because there's nothing in the biblical doctrine that says that it actually is contradictory for Jesus, the man, not to know something. That's not, uh, that we're going to see that does actually fit within our worldview. So we've reduced the unbelieving position to absurdity by showing that contradictions can't matter to them. And their whole argument is based on an arbitrary definition. Now we're going to move to step two. This is where we're going to do an internal critique of the biblical worldview. We're going to step inside the biblical worldview and examine it and see how sturdy it is and how strong it is and how all the premises support the conclusion. And let's start by talking about why this matters to Christians in the first place. So to an atheist, he can't support logic. Muslims, they can't support the idea of logic if they're going to be consistent with their worldview. But the Bible does support the idea of logic. The attributes of logic match God's attributes. So God is the basis for logic, and therefore violations of the laws of logic actually do matter to us. Contradictions actually matter for Christians. So we're showing what we're doing here. We're demonstrating that the Christian worldview accounts for the very categories and criteria needed to even make the objection. Now we can give a positive case. And we can explain how, given the Bible's actual definitions, there actually is no contradiction here. We need to define omniscience and God and Jesus the way the Bible does. And what we, what, the way we're going to define that is this. Omniscience 
does mean knowing everything that it's possible to know, but also in light of the incarnation, we have to recognize that Jesus as man is going to have certain limits to his knowledge as man with respect to his human nature. So Jesus is omniscient with respect to his divine nature, but there is nothing contradictory to say that when God becomes man, there are going to be limits on his human understanding as human. These are the implications of the incarnation. And if we say we don't like that, well, we're not writing scripture. We're not writing reality. So it's not about what we like. It's about what does scripture actually teach. And that is what we need to follow. The only reason that we know that Jesus is God is because the Bible tells us that. The concept of God becoming a man is a biblical concept. Jesus is the fullness of God revealed to us. Hebrews 1 says that in the last days, God spoke at various times and in various ways through the prophets, but in these last days, he has revealed himself through his son. So how do we know what God is like? We know because of Jesus recorded in the gospels. So apparently, and this is, by the way, this is a long-winded way of getting to exactly what you just said. So hear me on this. Apparently, when God becomes a man and adopts a human nature, this is exactly how he acts. Okay, so there is no contradiction here. Within the biblical worldview, everything fits together fine. So now you're ready to make this case clear. Why didn't Jesus know? It's not because he wasn't God. It's not because the Bible has a contradiction. It's because he was speaking in terms of his human nature. And as such, there are certain things that he didn't know. Jesus is one person with two natures. Again, this is called the hypostatic union. His two natures are unified into one hypostasis or hypostasis, one person, substance, person. And although they are unified, neither one subsumes the other and eradicates the other. The two natures remain distinct. This is really, really important to get this. How do you normally answer that? That's I said that it's it's Jesus's human nature. Like he humbled himself when he walked on earth as a human. And so his human nature didn't know the day or the hour. Um, His divine nature did, but his human nature did not. All right. Now I told you that this is actually a good thing. And I was going to explain why. Why is this a good thing? Because it highlights the fact that Jesus, who according to the Bible is God, the son, the son of God really did become a man. He really did become a human being. He's the ultimate underdog in a lot of ways. He was born in poverty, born under very dubious circumstances from the world's perspective, born to a virgin. He was born to a blue-collar laborer in a backwater colony of the Roman Empire. And even then, he was from an area that nobody liked, you know, Nazareth. Nobody thought anything good could ever come from Nazareth. Jesus is the ultimate underdog. We can relate to him. We, we love that. We love the idea of an underdog. And yet, he's also Superman. He's also the, the visitor from another world who comes down with superpowers that we don't have to save us while we're helpless. He's both. He's, he's Peter Parker, and he's Superman. I know that those two aren't supposed to go together, but he's both. He's the perfect hero. 
I was just talking with the guys in my Bible study about this the other day. Jesus is not really flexing his Superman status. He's reflecting the fact that he's the underdog. This is good. We love an underdog story, and we get to see that play out in the pages of Scripture. And it's true. He, as to his human nature, he has limits. As to his divine nature, he has no limits that, that God doesn't have. He still couldn't sin. He still can't contradict himself, that sort of thing. But, but the fact that God is doing, that, that Jesus does this, that the incarnate word, Jesus himself, the fact that he behaves this way, that's just how God acts when he becomes a man. As to his human nature, he has limitations. What could Jesus have said that would have actually been problematic for the Christian? If Jesus had said, when it comes to the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the Son, not the angels, not even the Father, well, then you'd have a big problem because you'd have a case of an all-knowing God, in this case, the Father, the, the first person of the Godhead, you'd have God not knowing something with respect to his divine nature. See, the Father does not have a human nature. He only has a divine nature. The Father did not become a man. But Jesus did not say the Father doesn't know. He said the Son does not know. So thank God there's, there's no contradiction here. And that points up the fact that helps us understand that Jesus was talking about his human nature. And I think that Jesus specifies that. He doesn't say, as to that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the Father. That would be problematic because the Father is not incarnate. He does not have a human nature, and he would not have that limitation. But Jesus exact, but Jesus specifies, this is Matthew 24, 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. There's no contradiction there. Jesus is exactly doing exactly what you said. He's talking about himself as to his human nature. So there is no contradiction there. It's just, that's how God behaves. So the fact that Jesus says that he doesn't know, but the Father does, shows that Jesus is speaking about the big thing that makes Jesus distinct from the Father. And if you understand Orthodox Christian theology, you know that that is the fact that Jesus, the Son, has human flesh, a human nature. He became incarnate. He has a divine nature and a human nature. So this all fits perfectly well with Christian theology. And it will not do for the skeptic or someone else to say, ah, see, the Bible is saying that Jesus isn't God. That's, that, that would be a totally unwarranted move. The whole scene is perfectly explained well within the Christian worldview, founded on biblical doctrine, and that biblical doctrine teaches that Jesus is God who became man and has a human nature. There's no need to accuse Christian orthodoxy of being false. There's no contradiction here. If you say, no, that's not what's going on. Jesus is not God. I'm telling you that is an unjustified claim. It just shows that you're being arbitrary. You've come into the discussion with that belief and nothing in the Bible, nothing in the discussion has actually warranted that belief. It's just your arbitrary preconceived notion. It doesn't flow from the text and the conclusion doesn't flow from the premises. So just to be clear, there is no reason to think that Jesus still does not know like the day of his arrival, his second coming, the end of the age. There's no reason to think that Jesus still to this day doesn't know certain things. In John 17, 5, Jesus prays that the Father 
would glorify him in his presence with the glory he had before the world existed. So Jesus is still a man, but he's fully glorified now. His human nature did not go away, but he has fully returned to his previous glory. And we assume that means that his omniscience is now intact and complete. I don't know that I could fully prove that from scripture, but that's what, that's the assumption. So what about the person who now says, but that's not what I would expect an omniscient God to be like. What do we say to that person? And to say, but that's not how I think that an incarnate God would act. That tells us something interesting about the person, but it doesn't tell us anything about God or what's true. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. Cool. Okay, so now you know. This can be a tough challenge to answer because it does touch on a difficult theological concept, the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union is the unity of Jesus Christ's human and divine natures into a single person, and this is relevant to our discussion because the two natures do stay distinct, and it was only with respect to his human nature that Jesus didn't know something. It's actually absurd, then, for the skeptic or the atheist to accuse Scripture of having a contradiction anyway, because there's no basis in the skeptic or even the Muslim's worldview for believing in the laws of logic. And therefore, there's no basis for complaining about contradictions. Contradictions can't be a thing if logic can't be a thing in your worldview. The skeptic is being arbitrary in defining God and omniscience, and you can expose that by comparing and contrasting his definitions with those of the Bible. You say, you know, in the Bible, the way the Bible defines omniscience and the incarnation, there is no contradiction. So there's no problem. The Bible presents God as the foundation for logic. So the possibility of contradictions in our doctrine should matter to Christians. But it's important to use the Bible's own definitions for omniscience and God and Jesus, because those are the actual doctrines that we're seeking to defend. Jesus, not knowing the answer to this question, is actually a good thing because it agrees with the idea of the incarnation. Jesus really did become a man. He took on flesh and he died for our sins. If Jesus had said that the Father didn't know something, that would have been problematic, but Jesus didn't say that. So this whole complaint tells us more about the assumptions that the person is making rather than it tells us about any problem with Christian theology. Okay, now, if you want to speed up your own growth in understanding Christian theology and become the worldview leader that your family and your church need you to be, join the Think Squad community today. We're talking about over 800 members on the same journey that you're on, joining together to share ideas and interests and seeking to answer the world's questions from a biblical perspective. By joining the Think Squad, you will get access to every resource that the Think Institute is putting out in that group, like PDF guides, links to helpful articles, brand new podcast episodes and videos, e-learning courses coming soon, and much, much more. Just open up Facebook and search for Think Squad. That's T-H-I-N-K-S-Q-U-A-D. Answer the short membership questions. That's all it takes. Thank you for listening to Worldview Legacy. Thanks to Cakes for the question. Thanks to Ellipsis for hosting the AMA on the Discord Politics server. Definitely check out that server. And go represent Jesus Christ well on there. This episode was produced by 
yours truly, Joel Sedeckes, and is a production of the Think Institute. You can help support the work of the Think Institute and help get Christian men equipped to explain, share, and defend the Christian message by going to thethink.institute slash partner. We are a Christian educational and evangelistic organization, and we are based by God's grace.